Hello and welcome to episode 69 yeah. of the Nerd Culture <laughs> Podcast. My name is David and we'll be the NCP crew as always. Richard. It's good to be king. Luke. At least he didn't say 37. 37? And Crystal. 37? This episode we'll be looking at the career of Mr. Mal Brooks. Specifically a look at his films and the classic TV show Get Smart. do uh, but first, I want to hit, with, hit us up with some pop culture news. Ow. <laughs> I come for the podcast, I stay for the champagne comedy of Luke Walker. Three so, shows a week plus Matt Mays. Just, you just want to pay our respects to, in the last couple of weeks, we lost... Uh, Paul Walker, uh, probably best known for the Fast and Furious franchise, but he was also in um, one of my favourite films of all time, Pleasantville. Uh, so it's uh, it was a damn shame he 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 died a pretty horrible way. So it's um, actually quite an ironic way. Yeah, so think about about it. It. he died, um, you know, much like his character probably would have in the yeah. Fast and Furious film. Yeah, it's, but the, the thing to remember there is that it wasn't the car crash that killed him. No, it was the it was, it was the, the fact that the car then burst into flames yeah. and it burned to death. I mean, that's just horrifying. It is it is horrible and uh, it, it's a, nobody deserves it. So it was Only it was a damn shame. Only forty mm. years old, yeah. Uh, it, it also also lost uh, Nelson Mandela. Um, mm. So he lived he lived a long life, ninety five years old, I believe, at the end, at the time of his death. And what a life! I mean, my God, mm. uh, his just, accomplishments just, are just unbelievable. I mean, the man changed history, yeah. and that's pretty amazing. It's just in- incredible to think about the life that he led and the impact he had, not just on South Africa, but on the entire world. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the whole the just whole world got behind him. Songs were sung. Yeah, it's stories were written. Pretty amazing stuff. But, so, um, change, but the whole idea of changing um, people's notions about what race is and you know how colorblind people are, mm. um, I think that's that's his that's his legacy. You know, he actually you know trying to change not just his country but mm. changing the entire world. Yeah, he was sick, sick for quite a while, and mm-hmm. uh, he eventually has passed. Um, so it's yeah, it's a shame. So our our thoughts go out to the, the families of Paul and Nelson. Uh, but uh, moving on, um, I'm very interested to see how the the crew react to this. I didn't tell them in advance, so this is this is all raw raw reactions. But uh, it's been announced that uh, Wonder Woman will be appearing in the next. Well, it's supposed to be a Superman movie, but it's actually Superman versus Batman now. Um, which is ridiculous, uh, which is cool. So Wonder Woman will actually get a, a big screen appearance, which is groovy. And uh, so not only that, she's also already been cast. And despite what uh, people thought was going to happen with Jamie Alexander being cast, uh, it's actually Gal Gadot, um, who is from the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, and it's interesting. It's, you know, once again, the internet can't help themselves. And uh, it's exploded, not quite to the extent of the Ben Affleck casting um but there's been some interesting interesting reactions and two of the major ones seem to be that uh, it's a bad choice because she can't act um which you know hey who am i to judge i'm not an actor it's not Um, like the fast and the furious franchise gives you the opportunity to show your talents as a major dramatic actor i mean they're action films good point that is a damn good point i'll be honest i I didn't know who she was and i haven't seen any of her films but Really, well, uh, I wouldn't be judging her on what her yeah. performance in Fast and the Furious yeah, well, was I've, like. I've seen all the Fast and Furious movies, and, um, and does, does anybody she really knows what she does? Does yeah. anybody really act in those films? I mean, they're like testosterone movies. They're action yeah, the, films. The Asian dude tries, right? <laughs> but really, he's just too busy being cool. 
yeah, but uh, and but the the other the other point which I just I find fascinating and I, you know, I just want to discuss with the crew is that she doesn't look the part because she is actually very thin, like she's model sort of thin. Yeah. My... So was Christopher Reeve when he got cast as Superman and they bulked yeah. him up. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. thing. They bulked him up. They're not going to bulk her up. But they could. I mean, she's mm. got they she's could, got months. She's already said that she's not going to. Really? I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah, mm. I mean, yeah, so was Chris, and he bowled up for the part, mm. but she's not. Yeah, so, she's look, so what she looks now is what she's going to look like in the film. Nobody's going to be surprised when I say, I don't care. They can cast mm. one, uh, Madonna for all I care. <laughs> I just... Did you cast who? Madonna. That'd be a disaster. It's, it's you know, in the end, it's just it's just a movie. Yeah. I, cast who you want. We'll look at it when it's done. Yeah, mm-hmm. for, the, for, the, for the people who do care. I mean, I, I am, I am inter- interested in who they cast, because I, I, mean, I want the film to be good, even though I don't think it's going to be. The, the, I, I want to talk about this without coming across sounding like... Uh, a man, <laughs> you know, and stuff. And but I mean, the thing is, I actually. So I'm so as usual. I'm horrified with the internet reaction with with just how forceful and let's face it, some some of them are quite disgusting um, in their the way that they react. But strangely enough, I am. I actually kind of agree. I, I don't think that she is right for the role, not because of her acting. Who cares, really? But more in terms of, I just I just do think she's too thin for the role, and it's and. I, I, I'm really struggling to, to not sound like a like like you know like an asshole, but I just it's it's gotten it's I mean I'll, I'll give you an example in the later seasons of Buffy. As much as I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it, during the later seasons, Sarah Michelle Gellar got ridiculously thin, and she's in these fight scenes with these vampires and stuff. And it just and even then, I was, it's, it's I was thinking, how could this tiny little thin thing be fighting these things and survive? It's it's weird. Uh, look, I, I'm sorry, but I've just got to. To stop you here with your nerddom. Alright. My, my response to that is always Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee, he wasn't a tall guy. Yeah. He was a thin guy. He was muscular, certainly, but he wasn't... However, he was trained, and he could kick the butt of yeah. any six foot four, 250, 300-pound guy that you want to throw at him. That's good. Right? And, and I think that works with Buffy, in that, you know, Buffy was trained to fight. That's the whole point. And, and supernatural. And it could work... Yeah. And and that same very thing could work here with Wonder Woman. It's, I don't think it, make it, sound, it makes you sound bad at all. It, it once again presents a ridiculously thin ideal for women to try and live up to. And that is a point. You don't, yeah, that's, you, that, don't, you don't have to be super thin to be mm. fit. That leads me to my next point. That's uh, that was that's really good. I think the next best next best example and a more modern example is Katniss in The Hunger Games, uh, played by Jennifer Lawrence. Now, in the in the novels she's actually quite thin because she's like starving to death. I mean, the whole place is starving and, uh, and she goes off in, into the games and stuff like that and does what she does in the film. Jennifer Lawrence is, she's not a thin girl and she's, but she's actually a, a normal everyday looking, well, she's very beautiful, but she's a, you know, normal in terms of size. And she intentionally didn't slim down in order to sort of continue the realism of, of what Katniss, let's face it, probably should have looked like. And, and I admit, at the at that time, I actually did think, well, you know, maybe she should be a little bit, a little thinner, sort of, for the realism. But I'm I'm proud that she didn't. I mean, I back her up 100 that she didn't for that very reason that Crystal just said that that sort of depiction of women. And having said that, for a practical reason, um, Katniss is meant to be malnourished, but um, which is kind of hard to. Well, I haven't read the book, but I assume she goes on and does a lot of physical stuff, hmm. becomes sort of hmm. a bit of an action hero. 
that's really hard to do when you're malnourished because you need the nutrients to be able to fuel your body to actually perform these feats. Mm. If you're malnourished, you're going to be weak and you're going to be lethargic. And, and yeah, she doesn't really become an action hero. So, so, but, but she does She does do some... So it, 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 make, it makes sense if you are fit-looking, but yeah. but not ridiculously anorexic-looking. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, it's hard. I mean, it's... it's it's, it's I'm I'm unhappy I'm I'm happy to see you know Gal give it a go I mean it's uh, you know you, you can't really judge until you see it Same that's the ben. thing it really does depend on how they're doing Wonder Woman yeah how they're going to go about it I mean yeah it's but but let's be honest I mean she's an Amazonian warrior I mean she's meant to be the the perfect ideal of womanhood and she's meant to go toe to toe with soups yes so ridiculously thin doesn't work for that but that's the thing though is Gal Gadot ridiculously thin. Is she just naturally that I think she's just naturally thin. I mean, <laughs> so, let's, let's, you know, let's get off the poor girl's know, back, you know what I mean? Yeah. She is. Um, the other criticism I heard was that she's been re- Wonder Woman's been relegated to a side character. Yeah, which is a shame. Well, this is, this is I actually think, my biggest concern with this film, um, is that you've got, first of all, Superman, yeah. and all of his supporting cast. Then you've got, now you bring Batman into it, which means then you've got to explain Batman to the new audience and where Batman's at for this story because it's a very different take on Batman. They're also saying that Nightwing's going to be in it as well, which means then you've got to have Nightwing in it. Then you've got to have Wonder Woman brought into it as well, and you've got to try and explain Wonder Woman plus Nightwing plus Batman, then villains. I mean, this movie's going to be ridiculously overloaded with characters that need backstory. I mean, it's... I just can't imagine... Yeah, you know, you're going to end up with the kind of mess that Batman and Robin is or, you know, um, Spider-Man 3, where they're trying to introduce too many characters too quickly. I disagree. Watchmen does it. Watchmen's a group of people and you get a heap backstory for all of them. But that's, yeah, but that's because Watchmen is written that way to begin with and works really well in that regard because all of their stories are essentially sort of tied together. You've, yeah, unless you're going to, you know, tie Amazon, you know, tie the Themyscira into what's going on with Batman. It was like to say one movie was able to do it. You know, I can give you multiple movies that failed miserably. Yeah. You know. Like, some, would like say, ba- some would say even Watchmen failed. Well, yeah. uh, ba- ba- you know, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, Spider-Man yeah. 3. I mean, you know, it's... Don't, it's, get, don't get me wrong. I, I agree. I don't think they're going to be able to pull it off. Because the the, yeah. knowing the people that are involved, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. I, I, well, just, I just don't agree that... Well, they couldn't even pull it, off Superman I just don't, right. I just don't so agree that I don't think it couldn't happen. It could happen. I just don't think it will. I don't think it will either. I think they'll botch <laughs> it really badly. But, I mean, anyway, that, that being said, there were... I mean, my, my favourite choice for the role was, gonna, was Gina Carano, um, who was in Haywire, and I... I just think she would have been would have been good, or maybe even Lynn Collins uh, from John Carter. They would have been good, good as well. But the fact of the matter is that we've got we've got Gal, and uh, I'm I'm fully behind it. I mean, it's, give the girl a go. Like, just you know, stop stop overreacting with like these petitions and stuff but, like that. I mean, it's just a film. At the end but, of the day, but but, but it's the internet. <laughs> it's just if they don't overreact, what's the internet for? I'm not against opinions. I mean, this entire show is about opinions. I mean, the opinions are fine, but just don't overreact with the opinions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not the end of the world. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> that was That's the soapbox. We had we had we had some good we had some good input there. It was good. I'm glad. Okay, so let's uh, move on to popcorn junkies. Uh, so, uh, Mel Brooks is uh, generally uh, regarded as the master of broad film farces and comic parodies, and um, it's pretty hard to 
say no to that. I think, I mean... It's, well, he's the person that's actually made those type of movies and made them good. Yeah. <laughs> puts him ahead of most people. Essentially that. created the genre, so you, so you can't really go wrong. Um, a, very, a, a very important thing about Mal is that he's also one of the few people uh, in the entertainment industry who has won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. That's right, he got um, his EGOT. So he's, he's, done, he's done all four, which is a clean, a clean sweep. It's pretty cool. Pretty groovy stuff. Yeah. Um, so just a, just a, a brief uh, sort of look at uh, Mel Brooks' life. So, so to, to sort of where he got where he is today. So Mel Brooks, after World War II, he started working in various resorts and nightclubs and stuff like that, mainly as a musician. Um, he was a drummer. Uh, but he eventually uh, got into stand-up comic work when one of them was sick and so he sort of took over. And then basically that was it. There's, you know, history in the making. Uh, he's uh, great friends with Sid Caesar and uh, the two of them worked on Sid Caesar's revolutionary TV show of the time called Your Show of Shows, uh, which basically created the format for that sort of style, that sort of genre of comedy TV shows. Um, it's pretty pretty amazing stuff. And still funny today. Check it out. Awesome stuff. Uh, he's also great friends with Carl uh, Reiner, um, who also worked on Show of Shows. And uh, they have done some comedy together as well. Carl Reiner, Brent. Um, and uh, especially the comedy routine called The 2,000-Year-Old Man. Absolutely uh, brilliant. Which is hilarious. Hilarious yeah. stuff. And it's, it's basically... And it's never the same. So yeah. it, it is... Um, there may be... You may have seen it uh, broadcast, but that version is different to what it was when it was originally done, and it's probably different now. Because um, it was a, a party piece originally. They yeah, they did it at the party. And, yeah. um, guys like George Burns said, if you're going to do something with this, I'm just going to steal it. Yeah, so. it was cool. So um, basically, Ryan would be the the straight man, the mm. reporter, the interview. and he, the interview, and he'd interview you know these characters, and they made up all these different characters, and 2,000-year-old man was, was the favourite one, mm. um, and the story sort of changed. Some of these classic lines is... is uh, uh, he witnessed the crucifixion, so he knew he knew Jesus Christ, who came into the story, never bought anything, just always browsed. <laughs> and he's got several hundred, several several uh, thousand children, like forty forty two thousand children, but none of them come to visit me. That's <laughs> <laughs> so the classic sort of stuff. It's, uh, it's the greatest invention being, you know, of all time, being you know rye bread. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's bread stuff. So check it out. In 1965, Brooks teamed up with comedy writer Buck Henry to create well, the classic character of uh, Maxwell Smart for Get Smart, um, which we'll talk about later on. It's a phenomenon, Get Smart, it's great stuff. Uh, he then moved on to his, his first feature film, which was The Producers in 1968, uh, which won him his Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, it was then later, many, many years later, turned into a Broadway musical, which won a record 12 Tonys. Um, it's hilarious stuff. Uh, so in terms of the actual feature film stuff, I haven't seen the the musical, but uh, I've heard it's good. But, um, but in terms of the film itself, love it. It's Producers great. is awesome. Great film. Spring time for Hitler. Spring time for, Spring Hitler. Time for Hitler. Hitler. Just classic. Awesome. But um, Zero, Mo- Zero Mostel um, as the main character is marvelous, and even Gene Wilder. Yeah. And Gene Wilder, you know, he do a couple of films with um, with Brooks. Um, quite some very good ones too. Um, marvelous as well. But yeah, just. An excellent, stuff. excellent film. Not my favourite, but certainly well up there. I'm yeah. with you. Not my favourite. It's actually my third favourite, mm. but yeah. right up there. It's great stuff. Uh, it's a common misconception that Brooks' first Broadway work uh, was the adaptation of The Producers, um, but that's actually not true. Um, he actually wrote a musical called All American, uh, mm. which was in itself nominated for two, uh, two Tonys um, in 1962. And just one quick thing on this. Someone actually tried to turn 
I think that was successful. I don't know how successful the show was. Tried to turn Springtime for Hitler into a show itself. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Why do they do these things? Anyway, it's, it's weird. Um, his next film, The Twelve Chairs, was a flop. Uh, and I haven't seen it, so I can't mm. comment on whether it's any good or not. No, no. It's based. It's it's actually it's based on a, a pretty famous book. Um, it's difficult to. Which also has its own film. So it, well, it's, it's the the misconception is it's based on the. It's a remake of the film, but it's actually based on the book directly. Um, so yeah, haven't seen it, and it's not in the, my Mel Brooks Blu-ray collection. So yeah, it's a very hard film to find. Yeah. Mm. Um, but his third film is often regarded as his best, and uh, AFI's 100 Best Comedies list, the Australian, uh, the American Film Institute. Ranks it as number six of all time. Mm. Blazing Saddles. Brilliant. I love this film. <laughs> this would have to be my favourite. And, you know, I know that I'm probably the minority here because you all love um, Young Frankenstein, which yeah. is also an awesome film. <laughs> um, but uh, I've only actually seen this twice. And the first time I saw it when I was a young, young kid, and I didn't mind it, but then, you know, watching it later as a teenager, just thought it was brilliant. And it um, is. There's just no doubt about it. It is hilarious. I just love where it goes off the rails at the end. I won't spoil it. For yeah, the, the end it, is the, gold. The, uh, the breaking of the fourth wall. Yes. Very inventive and, and yeah. just brilliant. Essentially, it's, it's weird. I mean, obviously it's a comedy, but my, my favourite moment is actually, and I can't repeat it exactly, uh, but my favourite moment is actually when he, when the sheriff first arrives mm-hmm. into town. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, it's just indicative of it of its day, I suppose. I mean, it's very highly stylized. I mean, it's yeah. like, but when he says he says hello to an elderly elderly lady and her reaction, what what she says back to him, and the look on his face, mm. you could you could tell he's actually quite mm. hurt. Yeah. yeah, I mean, not in real life because he's just acting. But it's, I mean, the, the acting is just it, it really does hurt him a lot. And he's suffered. I mean, through the start of the film, he's introduced earlier on, and he suffers all these indignities and yeah. with the, you know the camp down races and all that sort of mm. stuff. And, and that's all funny, but still terrible. But then this this particular moment is just quite poignant, I think. And and the rest of the film is him, in a comedic way, sort of trying to mend his broken heart. And mm. I just, that's why I'm fascinated by this film. Actually, strangely enough, don't think it's as 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 funny as some people seem to. I don't sort of guffaw, you know, laugh out loud sort of stuff. stuff. I think it's just quite clever. But that moment for me is is actually quite quite poignant. And I'm glad that it gets to the point where he mm. does read. Yeah. Where he wins in the end, which he deserves to do so. I think that's where the strength of this one is. It is it actually isn't as funny as some of the others, but it's got a good character arc in it, and yeah. um, you get involved with the characters as well. Yeah, he does a great job. I'm surprised he's not in more. I mean, a little. Yeah, he's in some other stuff. He's in things like um, the Vanishing Point, Mel Brooks stuff. Oh, Mel Brooks stuff. Not yeah. other films. Yeah. He doesn't have films, but I'm saying in, in more Mel Brooks mm. stuff. Eh? So, mm. I mean, he just he does an excellent, excellent job. Um, who is in uh, in the film? Is also in the film is uh, my beloved Gene Wilder, what a legend. Uh, is up with that comb over. Yeah, that, <laughs> over. Uh, he, that was a, he was a, the, the Waco Kid was originally meant to be played by uh, Gig Young, um, who pulled out, and Gene said that he would only do it. He's he was in the producers as well, so he told Mal he would only do it if Mal would then work on the an idea that he had sort of percolated in. So they said yep, and so he was in Blazing Saddles, and so after the film, Gene was like, all right anti up and so they went on and, and worked on the next film which is my favourite Mel Brooks film and uh, as Luke has already preempted is Young Frankenstein don't you mean Frankenstein I do don't you mean, mean the Igor no it's Frank- Igor <laughs> but they told me it was Igor well they were wrong they were wrong it's brilliant stuff we could do the whole episode just on Young Frankenstein I think mm. and it's 
it's uh, it's based on Universal Studios Frankenstein films, obviously, and it has the distinction of using the same set. Mm-hmm. Um, not the exact same set, obviously, because it was disassembled. But it's basically they've recreated the set and has the props. Mm. Um, so after the uh, there was they were there in the hands of a private collector, and he allowed those props mm-hmm. to be used again. And it's just it's goddamn hilarious from start to finish. And it, yeah. and what one of my favorite characters is, of course, Madeline Kahn's. Yes, and I just I love everything. Everything every Mel Brooks film that Madeline Kahn is in is raised because of her genius. Yep. She's just her, her comic comedic timing is just unmatched. And I like to go from my earliest statement. You know, this is my second favorite. Mm. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Mel Brooks film. Young Frankenstein is brilliant, and that's fine. I'm going to go. I don't judge you. Yeah. It's fine. I'm going to go a bit further than all of that. I actually consider this to be one of the probably five funniest movies ever made. I'm with you there. This I'm is totally with you. Without a doubt. Um, a personal highlight for me is uh, Gene Hackman as the blind man <laughs> and the interaction he has with Peter Boyle is just... It's, it's all sight gags, but I just love it. It is hilarious. <laughs> and Peter Boyle's really, really good in this. Yeah, it's it funny that uh, that's what Peter Boyle ends up looking like later in life. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and there, uh, his and Gene Wilder's uh, rendition of Putting on the Wrist is uh, one of the best ever performed. Put the candle... Fuck. <laughs> um, anyway, brain, brain stuff. Like I said, we, we just talked for this episode about this, but we can't. We have to move on. Um, uh, Young Frankenstein was also turned into musical, but it wasn't very successful. And I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment. But I, I see it, see it again and again and again. It's over and over and over again from like, every angle, like we have. In 1976, Brooks followed up followed up with uh, two more hit films. Um, one of them was Silent Movie, so the first feature length silent comedy in four decades. Uh, a silent movie uh, is written by Brooks and stars Brooks in his first leading role, which is pretty cool. He's had cameos in the others, especially as the as the mayor in Blazing Saddles. Yes. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, anyway, but uh, his first leading role. Um, but also had a whole whole heap of cameo stuff. Uh, but what was the funniest was actually Marcel Marceau's cameo. Yes. Which, in a silent movie, which makes sense, you would think. But he's actually the only one in the film who speaks. Yep. Just hilarious. Actually, <laughs> says none of those gold. Yeah, the silent movie is um, probably his cleverest movie overall, as far as just trying to be do something interesting and different. And uh, I like it. It's it's a it's a fun yeah. little film. I guess best I've not seen it, so it's all right. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. guess favorite, but I put in one of my favorites. But it is. I mean, it's, it's yeah. still good. It's, when, when, it's, when, it's when, Mel Brooks at his at his peak. This, yeah. this period here, the seventies. Yeah, yeah. G- g- given that I just ranked his previous film as one of the five best comedies ever. <laughs> You can understand, silent movie's not that good. In 77, he followed up with a, a parody of Alfred Hitchcock-type films in High Anxiety. Um, it was uh, written by Brooks um, and various others, Ron Clark, uh, Barry Levinson and such. Um, but it's the first one to be produced by Brooks himself. Uh, he created his own uh, production company. Uh, Brooks stars again as, as Professor Richard H. Thorndike, a Nobel Prize-winning psychologist who also happens to suffer from high anxiety. Um, it was a modest hit and um, not one of my favourites I must admit I think it's a bit forced mm. in, in most in yeah. it's not bad but, but yeah, yeah like, like, it's not bad um, but also but I've got a little bit of, a bit of trivia before Luke will probably know because let's face it he knows everything um, but uh, <laughs> in 1980 Brooks produced a non-comedic film didn't, he didn't create it he produced it what was it? non-comedic film? yeah 18 <laughs> no. that was 18 in conjunction with another famous comedian? Uh, we just he, uh, there are multiple producers on the film, but he was one of the producers. I don't actually know. No, the Elephant Man. 
Ah. That's right. And the reason he did it, <laughs> the reason he said yes, because he thought it would be hilarious to have his name on on a film called The Elephant Man, because people would expect it would therefore be a comedy, and then go <laughs> and go, what the hell? <laughs> That's Mel Brooks' way. Anyway. Hey, he backed what is a truly remarkable film, so you can't, and, can't and, argue with that. And you can't argue with the Fourth, The Elephant Man was a hit. <laughs> yes. It was a hit. He made his money. Yep. Uh, in 1991, Brooks uh, joked that the only gen- genres that he had not spoofed were historical epics and biblical spectacles. So he decided to combine the two in History of the World Part 1, which is actually my second favourite Brooks film. And uh, But it's not as good as History of the World Part 2. <laughs> which doesn't exist. Which has Jews, loose Jews, jokes. Jews in space. Yeah, Jews in space. It's just in hilarious. our minds, it will be the most awesomest film ever. That's, it's, I, I think it's hilarious. And... Uh, but I can it's, I can accept its flaws, but it's yeah. Look, it's not it's, it's not uh, it, it's not what you'd call one of his best films, no. but it is a series of very very, very funny. funny sketches. Really, yeah. um, yeah. you know, I bring these fifteen commandments, <laughs> ten. <laughs> these ten commandments. <laughs> ten so there's, commandments. there's some very funny moments in it, definitely. And the Inquisition song. The Inquisition, uh, the Inquisition song is awesome. The Inquisition. Let's Lord begin. Ocean. <laughs> the Inquisition. We're up in. <laughs> Nobody. Oh, no, that's the wrong one. No, it's the wrong one. Um, and, uh, and also has narration by Orson Welles, which, let's yeah. face it, automatically pumps it right up there with, yeah. with Transformers the movie. Transformers uh, <laughs> 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 oh, the movie. Uh, Unicron's played by Orson Welles. Um, Unicron. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Uh, in 83, Brooks produced and starred, but did not write or direct, a remake of the classic uh, 1942 Ernst Lubitsch film, uh, To Be or Not To Be. Um, to be or not um, to be. I've, I must admit, I didn't like it at the time, but a subsequent mm. viewing of it shows that there's actually a lot more to it, I thought, than when I first saw it. And so, that's... Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's most famous, obviously, for what Luke just did with the to-be-or-not-to-be Hitler yeah. rap, uh, which caused quite a bit of controversy. Mm. But yes. Because, yeah. you know, a Jew, playing, a Jew playing Hitler, who wouldn't find that controversial? <laughs> um, but to get back to Dave's point, I actually haven't seen this one myself, um, but a lot of people have actually done done that they've actually yeah. you know it wasn't they didn't like it at the time but now it's actually gotten a bit of a reappraisal and yeah. it's um, yeah. risen a lot in people's eyes it's not that good <laughs> oh, I haven't seen it so I can't comment it's alright uh, and then uh, 1987 Brooks directed Spaceball which is a parody of science fiction mainly Star Wars and uh, which funnily enough is the distinction of being the first Brooks film I ever saw so okay. I actually saw it in the cinema with my cousin mm. um, and it's... You, you're always right <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, it's and it's interesting. We saw it. We saw it again recently, and uh, I fell asleep. Yeah, it hasn't stood the test of time. I must admit, it's, um, uh, it has some quite slow moments. It's actually the first time I'd seen it, and I, I wouldn't mind having another go when I'm more alert. It's just I'm really tired. But it does have the brilliant John Candy. It's always good to yeah. see John Candy. Okay, the the funniest like, I, line of the night was actually from the movie. It was from you. He said, "You fell asleep. Why didn't you tell me you fell asleep?" Yeah. <laughs> I did like the uh, breaking of the fourth wall moment where yeah. they actually produce Spaceballs the script <laughs> to read. As no, just... no, it's the movie. They're watching the movie on VHS. I thought there was one where they had the script. Nah, it's no script. It's actually, they're actually, the he's like, go, go, go get the film. And so he puts oh, his VHS and puts it in and they're watching it on the screen and they sort of... They like, turn around. They're looking yeah. at the camera. Sorry, my like, mistake. Can we put the movie out now? We're here now. We're here now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, so I, that bit's cool. I like Rick Moranis as um, yeah. Dark yeah. Helmet. You know, yeah, yeah. Quite, the I didn't was, see you playing with your toys again. The, the joke <laughs> being, of course, that the most awesomest, most fearsome bad guy in the universe is in fact played by the little weedy guy from Ghostbusters. Yeah. yeah. It has its moments. It's not it's not terrible. Um, but it no it, but it is funny though. That, yeah. It's a, yeah. it is quite enjoyable as opposed to some of Mel Brooks' later films. And it's a lot uh, of fun. Yeah. And then in the 90s uh, Brooks directed Life Stinks, which is awful. Avoid. Mm. 
Just film stinks. Movie stinks. Film yeah, stinks. It's pretty. It's it's pretty bad. Uh, and in I'm going to skip over one because I want to come back to one in a second. And then in '95, he, he directed uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It, which is also terrible. Avoid. Um, Leslie Nielsen just paying the bills. Loving it. Yeah, pretty bad. Uh, but in between those, he directed Robin Hood Men in Tights in 1993, and uh, it actually actually goes back to he actually tried to create uh, to have a TV show called When Things Were Rotten, uh, a comedy TV show based on Robin Hood, and uh, it wasn't a success. It only lasted 13 episodes, and um, he used quite a lot of that material in uh, Men in Tights, which he made directly ag- as uh, against Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which he didn't like. <laughs> so he thought, hey, here's the chance, I'll, I'll make a, a Robin Hood film. That's because Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is rubbish. It's not rubbish, it's fine. Alan Rickman, Alan Rickman. Yeah, okay. One, automatically one, makes it not rubbish. One, one or two good performances go doesn't make a movie good. Movie was rubbish. It can't be rubbish if Alan Rickman's in it. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to look up his filmography at one point <laughs> okay. to see if that's true He's or been not. In some terrible stuff. Um, anyway, so uh, many insights. I'm, I'm actually admit I'm not that big a fan. It's, it's no. all right. It's got some. It's got some comedy moments. It's pretty successful. It, has some good, it, has some good it was quite yeah. successful. Yeah, it's probably his last really successful film. Um, yeah, it has some it has some good moments. So check it out. We recommend it. The dancing sequence is pretty cool. <laughs> There's some fun stuff in there. Kerry Yules is good. Yeah, he, he is good. And Rob um, Tuckman. So, so my document is good, yeah. yeah. So Life Stinks, uh, like I said, is terrible. Uh, avoid. And it was a financial and critical failure. Uh, and he's also Brooks' last leading role in a film. Um, he did uh, do some more acting uh, on some TV shows. He did some, some cameo stuff in TV shows and voice work. Most notably being his stint uh, from 1996 to 1999 on Mad About You yeah. as Uncle Phil, which is oh, hilarious. That's right. Yes. He was a great character. The show automatically became worth watching just for the episodes he was on. <laughs> Come on, what about it's, uh, Stephen Wright? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it was an okay Hector show. Yeah. was in there too. It was right. Larry Miller. Yeah. Yeah. It started off quite well. First season yeah. very strong. It was and okay. it gets, just gets bad as it goes on. But yeah, but uh, Mel Brooks in it, so that was cool. So that was Mel Brooks. He's awesome. <laughs> he deserves the accolades he gets, especially uh, because he fathered Max Brooks, who wrote the World War Z stuff, and that's pretty cool. Yes, that's why he should be praised. <laughs> Not for the fact that he's won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony Award. He should be because he had a son who wrote a book that you like. I'm not saying that's <laughs> yeah. the only reason. I mean, obviously, he's a genius, and he should be praised for that reason. I'm just saying it's one of the reasons. <laughs> I like to collect all the all the good stuff. Fair enough. So yes, that was Mel Brooks. Check out his films. He's uh, he's um, quite a lot of them are available in Blu-ray under the Mel Brooks collection. Check it out; it's worth it. And you can also get um, the two thousand year old man on DVD, mm. which I recommend not just because it's awesome, but for one of the special features, which involves an interview. Uh, with Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks where they're just talking normally about it and everything and then they just can't help themselves they actually have to go into yet another new version of the 2000 year old that is they just brilliant help themselves. I will try and find a link to that it's, it's well worth it. checking out it's very very cool awesome. I haven't seen it and I would buy it yep. <laughs> through our Amazon widget hey that's right uh, let's move on to Channel Zero so uh, just to follow on the, in the theme the Mel Brooks theme uh, our, our Channel Zero is Get Smart like I, like I said, um, Mel Brooks uh, helped create the uh, Get Smart. As it was with uh, Buck Henry, but then had very little to do with the, the rest of the show itself. Um, but I thought it'd be, it was better than doing that Robin Hood show that he did. So <laughs> because it's awesome. So we'll check it out. Uh, the show stars Don Adams as Maxwell Smart, Agent 86. Uh, the lovely Barbara Felden as Agent 99. And uh, Edward Platt as Chief. 
uh, plus a whole bunch of other people. Um, and uh, there's a lot, a lot, lot of other characters. I'm not going to go through them all. Stop limited time. Yes, we've got to mention Harvey obviously because he's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do like what there's one episode where where Chief has got to fire Max. You know, he threatens to fire him all the time. He's going, he's like, oh, I find he's like. Oh, that's cool because uh, Max is like that's fine because according to the regulations that means Laramie replaces me and Steve's like no no it's all good <laughs> 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 <You can stay. laughs> poor Laramie um, anyway um, the show uh, was uh, a success and mainly because it, it combined the two biggest things uh, in entertainment of the day which were James Bond and Inspector Clouseau, um which was basically it was, was generally the idea behind it uh, it's the it ran for uh, it ran from September 18, 1965 to May 15, 1970. Uh, it followed up uh, with um, a couple of films. The uh, Nude Bomb! Which is, is just awful. Awful. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> it's, it's universally panned. Avoid. Um, just have this image of him driving his desk down the top. Yeah. It's, and it doesn't really it doesn't continue the chronology of the show anyway. It's it's I don't know, it's, it's just terrible. Um, and uh, get smart again, which was a made for TV sequel, which does continue on. Mm. It then had a couple of revival attempts at the series in 1995, um, which introduced their son um, Zach, mm. I believe. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. have. Um, which only lasted one season, and uh, but does actually continue on. Um, Agent 86 eventually goes into politics, which is pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, and is in charge sense. of funding. funding Don Adams in that, or yeah, Don Adams in yep. it. Yeah, yeah, he becomes the the chief of control. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and a 2008 film remake with Steve Carroll and um, Anne Hathaway, which um, wasn't that great, but good casting with Patrick Warburton as Hotman. That's right. Yeah, Patrick Warburton, mm. awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not the greatest, but it's all right. It's all right. It's, it's, it's entertaining. entertaining. It's entertaining. Uh, so it gets smart. Mainly deals with uh, two competing spy agencies, Control. It's important to note that both control and chaos are not acronyms. <laughs> they're just, yeah. but yeah. They're, they're displayed in capital letters all the time. So you kind of think they're meant to be, but they're actually not. Mm. Um, so uh, control, which are supposedly meant to be the good guys, um, who is a U.S. government counterintelligence agency based in Washington D.C., um, where Agents 86 and 99 work, who work for, and the nemesis of control is chaos, uh, which is an international organization of evil, uh, which was supposedly formed in Bucharest, Romania, in 1904. But which is now a Delaware company for tax purposes, <laughs> and uh, and are really not that evil when you think about it. <laughs> but um, they do do some horrible stuff, I suppose. But uh, so Maxwell Smart's nemesis in, in uh, Chaos is Conrad Siegfried, played by uh, the awesome Bernie Coppel. They're basically two sides of the same coin, and even actually, actually, it's revealed sort of as the show goes on. They're actually quite fond of each other, and. Mm intentionally don't really try and kill each other mm. because they actually really like each other but yeah. they but they can't do it because they're they're meant to be enemies um so you know they, they're basically just going through the motions towards the end there at least really more than anything um and they had some pretty cool conversations and stuff like that uh one of them's the uh the cyanide pill they're, they're discussing what flavor cyanide pill they've got that month because it changes every month mm. and uh this month for control it's strawberry or raspberry or something like that's one one of the berries and offers Siegfried a taste and Siegfried's like no, no, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it was it with Siegfried the one that where they had the um the mark where they had to actually take out all the weapons. Yeah. It's, it's not yeah. that I was that I thought was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. But they're actually not just it, it's not a typical just throw them all down and see how many weapons. They're actually talking about yeah, the Yeah, they're weapons, talking about the weapons, the weapons that they've got, yeah, you know, yeah. the best ways. I've always remembered that scene. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, um, and, and Maxwell brings out this non-regulation gun mm. that he just is just a collector's piece of his own. So mm. he's like, "Oh, that's awesome." This <laughs> is cool. It's it's great stuff. Their, their interactions for me is what mm. makes the show really more than anything else. Plus, the very beautiful Barbara Felton. I just love it because because <laughs> uh, uh, you can just I love that you can you can say the show along with the show. You, you know yeah. that the the uh, missed by that Not much, much. line is mm. just about to come up, and you can you can. It's almost like a sing-along show, but you talk a lot. Exactly. I always, yeah. always like the "Would you believe" ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah where you roll off something, and they'll just look at him like, "What? Well, would you believe this?" And you know, then it just gets worse and worse. <laughs> just gets worse. I've got Boy ten guys with machine guns. Would you believe four with machetes? How about a kid with a pea shooter? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the classic interaction he has with Agent Ninety Nine with. Where it's like you know, don't don't tell me, and of course yeah. she then tells him, and it's like, don't you have to tell me that? Let's yeah. not forget too, oh, yes. she's really the competent one here. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like so the the thing the the I mean, like I said, with the combination of James Bond and, and Agent Inspector Clouseau, um, they've sort of they've gone all out to make Maxwell Smart be ridiculously incompetent, mm. yeah, but he always seems to still seems to win the day. Uh, generally, just for his his, his perseverance, and, but he's also extremely lucky. <laughs> so. But it's it, it, generally he does it because the day is actually generally lost because of his incompetence. Yeah, well, it's, it's he's beaten the bad he's beaten the bad guy, but he still wins in the end. Yeah, he beats the bad guy, <laughs> but generally the bad guy gets his way because Max does something dumb. Yeah, it does something dumb. Yeah, and and it's, and it's then Agent Ninety Nine who is then left to clean up and uh, and does Which, all the stuff. And she's awesome. She's an awesome spy. And I, th- I think that actually that should be. Um, that should be brought out to the forefront here is that at a point where, you know, a lot of the spy, especially the spy movies, like your James Bond movies, where the women are, you know, there to be eye candy and for, rescued. you know, for, for Bond. The fact that you've got a female character who is the best agent in the show and really the most competent agent in the show is, I think, a nice subversion of what the trend was at, the, at that point. And that, I think, makes her a really important character as well. Yeah, she's, she is very important and uh, she's a major part. And the, the long-suffering chief. Needs to be yeah, the code of silence. I love the code of silence. I'm the code of silence at work. <laughs> <laughs> it's great stuff. He does... I mean, you can, it's clear that he likes Max, but it's it's hard to ignore the fact that he's just hopeless. He plays a good straight man. He does, he does. To, uh, to Don man. Adams, too. Yeah. That's great work. One wonders why he keeps, you know, giving Max field work. Max is so incompetent. Exactly right. What the other agents must be like. <laughs> and and Maxwell Smart is is a, a part of pop culture history now. Like I mean, those the quotes that we said before is mm. it's I mean they've been used in in everything from commercials to to, mm. to comics to you know also it's just it's mm. and uh, the the bumbling secret agent or the secret agent who's a, maybe a little bit more human than the cold and calculating James Bond is has mm. has become a staple. Mm. And uh, thank God James Bond himself doesn't do it, because <laughs> that would be a disaster. Yep. But uh, it's good to have other characters like that. Guess what's available on DVD, so uh, if you want to check it out, if you haven't already seen it. And if you haven't already seen it, I'll be shocked. Cause it's, if you haven't seen it, just switch to telly on every switch, now and then. Switch to go, switch to go, and it'll be on. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, or if you're for our international listeners, because there are quite a few of you, um, surely it's shown on one we of the switched the TV channels. on last night and get David says, guess what's on? <laughs> So uh, check it out. It's worth it. It's very, very funny. Coming up next, coming soon. Coming up in the next week in Australian cinemas, December 12, we get Battle of the Year, which is about a group of uh, breakdancers. 
Go to a competition, like it's like a documentary type thing, not like those bloody. Oh, I thought it might be like step up yeah, to step the streets. You see rubbish. what they did there? No, no. To the streets, um, but with the two instead of yeah, the, with the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of T-O. And the third one's like Miami Heat or something like that. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, they're geniuses. You know, Electric Boogaloo. You know a bit more about them than you really should. Electric um, Boogaloo. But more importantly, we also get a film I've been waiting to see, which is American Hustle. Yep. Yeah, looking absolutely. Really looking forward to this one. Only two films released that week because. In a couple of weeks' time, it's going to, it's going to be like yeah. the major seasons. So yeah. There's not really too many videos. I do, I do want to see American Hustle. I think it looks good. Yeah, no, based on the cast and stuff, and good Oscar bait as well. That's yeah. exact. That's what it is. Is Oscar bait? It's but in a good way. Oscar bait. Uh, unlike that terrible Captain, whatever it was, Phillips, Captain Phillips. Although the young African guy did quite a good job. Don't know his Have- name. Haven't seen Captain Phillips. Oh yeah, not no, really interested. I wasn't. Yeah, I was. I really wasn't that intrigued. But I've got to be honest with you. Um, but uh, yeah, the young, the young African guy, excellent. Probably the Danish film, which is sort of, sort of similar, which is called Hostage, I think. Because it's a merge, it's a company vessel. They've actually got to communi- also negotiate with the company directors, who take a hard line um, on not negotiating with the pirates, which puts the main guy in a bit of a pickle because he's got a. You know, ensure that he and the crew stay alive. It sounds more interesting than Captain Phillips. I do like the fact that you described, you know, your boat being taken over by Somalis, you all being taken hostage and potentially getting killed because your hardline bosses are taking a hard line as a bit of a pickle. (laughs) (laughs) That's Luke for us. Mm. Nobody but Luke. Uh, So to finish up, all the myriad ways that you can contact us on our website www.nerdculturepodcast.com in a pickle. <laughs> Guaranteed pickle-free. Yes. Uh, uh, via email, feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com. We love our feedback. Send it in. Tell us you love us. Tell us you hate us. Tell us the stories that have gotten you into a bit of a pickle. <laughs> Especially if they involve some have, have you ever been the captain of a ship and were told specifically not to go within a certain range of the coast but then went and did it anyway? Let us know! Let us know! <laughs> Did he eat pickles at the same time? <laughs> he probably was, let's face it. Uh, Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast and Twitter. At nerdculturecast. And Skype. At nerdculturecast. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's nerdculturepodcast, but close enough. <laughs> sorry, I got, I got a bit carried away there. Carried my, away. my apologies. <laughs> and uh, you can rate and review us on the iTunes. The and iTunes! Subscribe to the podcast. And don't forget, we're also an Amazon affiliate, so if you want to buy... Anything through Amazon, maybe the Mel Brooks Blu-ray collection. Uh, you can uh, do that through our widget. It doesn't cost you anything extra, uh, but we do get um, a cut of the profits, slice of the action. A piece of the pie. A, a bit of a pickle. A bit of a pickle. <laughs> Poor Luke. No, but that, if it was a bit of a pickle, maybe we didn't get any of the profits. That's it for me and the crew, Richo. Bye. Luke. Missed it by that much. <laughs> and Crystal. Would you believe? <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.